Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. It's good to be with you. If you're um, maybe new today or you just haven't been with us lately, Recently, I should tell you two things. One, I'm Ron, if I didn't say that. Welcome, sorry. It's good to meet you. The second thing is that we are, we're going to do some, some Bible teaching, study, training, whatever you want to call it right now. And we are in the middle of a series. So what we talk about today, I think probably could stand by itself, but it's really in a greater context of uh, things that we're talking about over a longer period of time. And that would be good for you to know if you're just kind of popping in today. So you can see up there, there's a title on the screen that says, Witness Stories from the First Followers of Jesus. And the idea is that we are reading stories from the book of Acts in the Bible, which really tells the story of the followers of Jesus starting right after his resurrection, right before he ascends to heaven, and he launches them out on their role of continuing his ministry in the world. And if, if you, you could say that Acts ought to just kind of be continually written and we'd be in the book of Acts today. So it's kind of the story of Jesus at work. So we're looking for particular stories, um, or we're looking for particular emphasis in stories, I could say it that way. And it's, it's driven from the fact that Jesus, after he was crucified, rose from the dead, met with the disciples, and in um, Luke's gospel, Luke, who's the author of Acts and Luke, he describes the evening of Jesus' resurrection and says that Jesus showed up with the people and he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he said, this is what's written in them. The Christ would suffer and be raised from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to the ends of the world. And then he said, you, to the crowd that was listening to him, it was just a few guys actually, well, a few. It was at least the 11 disciples and some others. He said, you are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Later, he met with them again and said, don't do anything till you... Receive from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, for you will be empowered and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. So the, the big concept is witnesses, and we um, have said many times what we think a witness is. Anyone want to help me? What's a witness? Just spit it out loudly. A storyteller is a great way to say it. A, a witness is someone who tells others what they've seen. Wow, that's exactly how I said it. A witness is someone last week. A witness is someone who tells others what they've seen, what they've heard. Was it what they've experienced and what they've learned? What they've experienced and what they've learned about Jesus. A witness is not required to convince people of things. And they're certainly not expected or even desired to judge people who don't receive their witness. They just tell others what they've what they've heard, what they've seen. And we came to the conclusion that not only were these disciples called 
to be witnesses, but that we who follow Jesus are called to be witnesses, and that everyone in this room has probably seen or heard or experienced or learned something about Jesus, so you're on the hook. You, you, you can't get out of this now. And you have, you have an invitation, but more than an invitation, you have called into the mission where you, you are, are to be witnesses of Jesus. And I'm, I'm talking to myself when I say that. that. So, in the last stories that we've been reading, two guys, Peter and John, who were of the original 12 followers of Jesus, they are on their way to a meeting with the rest of the followers of Jesus one day, and they are participants in a miracle. And God uses them to heal a man who's been since birth and is now in his 40s. He's never walked. And a miracle happens and the guy gets healed and he's kind of noisy about it. He's now standing and jumping. He's a well-known figure because he's always begging at a certain place in the temple. A crowd gathers. Peter remembers, oh yeah, we're supposed to be witnesses. He begins telling the people that are gathered, which is turns out thousands of people, about Jesus, about the story of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's seen, what he's heard, what he's learned, what he's experienced about Jesus. And it's a, it's a really effective moment because 2,000 people begin following. But while they're talking, the temple police show up and arrest them. And, and they threaten them, put them in jail overnight, and they start telling them, you can't do this anymore. You've got to stop telling people about Jesus. So there's some pressure, and these are the same people that have Jesus killed. So they've got some authority, they've got some ability to create damage. So this pressure comes on the people. James and John, well, they, I'm not James and John, I'm sorry, Peter and John. They get out of jail, they have an interesting experience with the, kind of the, the judge class, and they go back to their people, and instead of being intimidated, and shrinking back, it only strengthens them. And the community comes together, and they have this time of prayer where they're asking God, give us more boldness. You know, help us do this even more, not less. And we, last week, when we were telling that part of the story, we drew out uh, some principles or some aspects of the culture of their community. We said they're a community of witnesses. What are, what's, What's, What's that, that culture look like? And I and told you these five things, things, just to remind you, and then we'll get to where we are today. So I'm just giving you what we did so we can get real on from today. Is that good? Okay. We said that they're deeply committed to each other. We said they are a spirit-filled community. The work of the Holy Spirit is really active. And it's to expect God and the Holy Spirit to show up. He does. They're a spiritual community, deeply committed to each other. They're really committed to this mission of being witnesses. They're immersed in scriptures. We saw how when they pray, the scriptures come out of their mouths and their prayers. They really empower their prayers. And we said they have this Bible prayer life together. So that's kind of the culture and the description in Acts. It was in Acts chapter 4 we were reading. The description of this community says this is Acts 4, verse 32. We read this last week. All the believers were one in heart and mind. There's a lot of it here. No one claimed that any possession was his own. 
which is, by the way, what we try to say to this day, that what I have, I don't really own it. God owns it, and I'm his steward. I'm the manager of his stuff. And he lets me enjoy a lot of it. He lets me enjoy a ton of it, but it's really his, and when I think that way, it's super freeing. If you think that you are responsible for taking care of your stuff, you can be so stressed. But if you think God's responsible, and I'm just managing all his estate, you won't be stressed. You give it away freely, you discover there's more that comes back, and like, somehow I have enough. Isn't it that way? Like, Michelle's over here, and like, folks, and she's just laughing, that's not true, that's how I live it. Yeah, well, yeah, we, have, we were at the golf tournament for last night for, for Victory for Christ. And here's these, these two, these are just two guys that started this thing that I don't really know like this thing, and I tell them, and they're just, they're, they're normal, like, I'm just like me, right? And what are they doing owning a million dollar home? Like, <laughs> they just came to them from God, right? And they don't think it's theirs, they think it's the Lord's, and they use it to serve people. That, I'm talking about the sober living home that they run. Amongst other things, the thousands and thousands of different stuff that I give they realize none of my possessions are mine. They're his, they're for us. So that's what we were reading. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify or witness about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was on them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and then they distributed it to anyone as they had need. And then we read this. this is, before we get to where we are starting today, this is how we ended last time. So there's a guy named Joe, Joseph. He's a Levite from the island of Cyprus, and the, and apostles, the apostles nicknamed him. Do you ever, you ever, you ever nicknamed him? Do you, you like, like it when they do that? Like, like my name wasn't good enough, so they call you someone else. What did they call you, little kid? kid. Snake. Boo-boo. <laughs> Bear. Um, they called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Bar in Hebrew means son of. Navas means comfort, console. Son of encouragement, because he's such an encouraging guy. Well, he sold this. Feel all the money, put it at the apostles' feet. Everything's good and happy right now in the story. But Satan is about to break into the community with a new attack. The attack of the outside of persecution had no effect. So Satan has a new attack. He's just sneaking on the inside and see if he can solve some problem there. And that's what we're going to read and talk about. But to get there, I want to back up and remind you of something that Jesus had been training the disciples in for years when he walked with them and talked with them. Here's, here's his main place. This is Luke. Luke wrote this in Luke 12. He reports this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampled one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on guard. Be on your guard. Watch out. Warning something is potentially a problem. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Of course, he's using a metaphor, something to describe something else. Yeast is a good metaphor because something almost visible goes into dough. 
causes it to rise, it spreads through the dough. A little bit of the yeast spreads through the whole dough, the whole thing's infected. The onion garment's the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And if you paid attention to the Gospels, you know that Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites a lot. Over and over, he confronted them and said, Well, what are you Pharisees teaching the law? So, good morning. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, which is what's going to try to break it into you. So, you've got to help me for a second. What does hypocrisy mean to you? Saying one thing and doing another. Okay, and someone said traitor? Traitor, okay. Two-faced. Acting like something you're not. Now that actually is the more accurate description from the Bible. So what did you say over here? Double-minded. Do, do, you, do you really like it when people are hypocritical? Is that like really attractive personality trait? Have you ever heard people say those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites? You've, you've heard that? Like, why do I want to go to a church? There's a bunch of hypocrites. You've heard that? Okay. So, hypocrisy, sometimes people say it, like I think you said it, saying one thing and doing another. And that's, there's truth to that, but it's really more when you, when you pretend to be what you're not. And you deceive people. To act like something that you're not. The word that comes out, hypocrisy, comes from a Greek word, hupokrites, or something like that. But it really refers to the actors in the Roman and Greek plays that wore masks and played a part. It, it means to play a part that you're not. And um, let me just say this. If you say one thing and do another, you might not be a hypocrite. I hope not, because I just did this yesterday, and this morning. Well, really more yesterday. <laughs> I would say, I, I, will, I will tell you and I will tell myself, it is not good to be overcome with anger and rage. <laughs> but as I've been struggling with a certain piece of software, <laughs> trying to get it to work, <laughs> yesterday in particular, um, <laughs> This particular piece is, I was just trying to do something that was so simple, and I was convinced that I was really wasting my time because the makers of the software were such idiots, was the kind of thinking, which sounds like anger, doesn't it? And I eventually cursed the company, and I said, damn them all. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> and then I said, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that when you say you believe something and do the other, it might not be that you're a hypocrite, but that you're falling short. You're not reaching your, your goals. So um, it, it would have been hypocrisy if I would have acted to people as if I never lose it. I'm so in control. I got that part worked out and just put on a mask. That's hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy is, is, doesn't mean you sin. That's not hypocrisy, or you're tempted. It's when you, you lie to deceive people, to make out that you are something that you're not. Some, and it's usually because you want to look better than you really are. 
In fact, um, Paul, remember Paul saying this, the good that I want to do, that I don't do, and what I don't want to do, that I do. And the things I hate, I do, and the things I love, I don't do, and I, oh, am I going to go crazy? What's, who's going to rescue me? Thank God Jesus is going to rescue me. That's Romans 7, end of Romans 7. Not hypocrisy. Okay, so be relieved if you thought maybe you're a hypocrite because you said one thing, but you're doing another. It might be that you just haven't quite arrived at the goal that you're trying to grow into. Okay. Um, here's an example that you'll probably remember. Um, the disciples are, I mean, sorry, the Pharisees are harassing Jesus for not doing the ceremonial hand washing before a meal. Do you remember those stories? Happened more than once. And he looked at them and said, they were judging him. They said, why don't you follow the traditions of the elders? You guys aren't washing your hands properly. They went through these rituals for ceremonial cleanness. And he said, you guys are hypocrites. You're more concerned about the outside of a cup than you are of the inside of your heart. Your heart is full of wickedness, judgment, adulteries, immoralities, theft, murder. It's all inside of you. And yet you think the most important thing is if you can have your cup clean. So you look good on the outside, you think, and you look terrible on the inside. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus came against that all the time. So where we were, this guy named Joe sells this piece of land brings at the apostles' feet, everyone's loving Joe, and two people enter the story in Acts chapter 5, and they have this situation. They would like to get the kind of recognition that Joseph, Joe, that Barnabas is getting. But the problem is they're not generous like him. But they wish everyone thought they were generous, so they hatch a plot to look generous when they're not so that people will like them more. And here's how it goes. Now a man named Ananias and Sapphira, and together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now it's, it's kind of a public thing, and it's understood that they're doing this thing where someone sells their property and brings the whole value lays it at the apostles' feet to help the poor people. And they said, you know, we could use a little money ourselves, so let's sell the property, keep a good portion for ourselves, give the rest to the apostles, but make it look like we gave the whole thing. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? So Peter sees from the Holy Spirit, this is actually a plot of Satan to bring some trouble to the community. How is Satan so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money received for the land. And then he, he just makes it clear, this, is, this problem wasn't that he didn't give all the money. He, that wasn't a deal. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after you sold it, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have done anything you wanted with it, Ananias. What made you think of lying about it, though? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. By the way, notice, he started saying, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And now he says, you lied to God. And this is one of the places in the Bible that people develop the doctrine or the theology of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is God, that God the Father is God, that Jesus is God. Here the Holy Spirit is directly called God. It's an aside. Well, bad news for Ananias. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Now that would wake everyone up on the Sunday morning church service. And the, the next sentence is probably not needed. 
And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried it out, and buried it. Whoa. So his, his plan of getting some recognition has completely backfired. It did not work out well. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you played for the land? I'm sorry, the price you and Ananias got from the land. Is this the price you stole it for? Is this what you got? And she said, yes, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They'll carry you out also. So the... Steve, the ushering position in this church is more complicated than what we do here. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried it out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So it became known. And we won't read farther. I can just kind of preview the result, actually, is people were a little bit timid about growing, joining the church after this. <laughs> but yet, they held them in great respect and honor, and they continued to grow. There was like a purity of the church. It was like, join the church if you're serious about it. Fake's not going to work out very well here. So, where does this drive to deceive others so that they'll think more highly of me come from. And by, by the way, this temptation to try to look better in other people's eyes, you're susceptible to it and I'm susceptible to it. It's not like all those bad Ananias and Sapphira. This is present in all of us. This drive that people would think highly of me. Where does that come from? I think it's primarily rooted in not knowing how really loved and valuable you are to God. I think lowly of myself, and I assume that other people do, so I've got to, in my own strength, my own mind, try to convince you I'm really worth something so you'll speak nicely of me think highly of me. This is, this is a root of all sorts of dysfunction in families and communities. And remember, Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. If it gets in among you, it's going to really do a lot of damage. It's going to do a ton of damage. Ephesians 3 17 records a prayer of Paul that's related to this. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know, the word know means experientially know, to experience the love that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This would be the antidote 
or the antibody against this germ of me feeling like I need to convince you that I'm better than I really am so that you'll think highly of me. If I know experientially what God thinks of me, how he loves me, how he cares for me, I don't have to fake it with you. I don't have to fake it anymore. And probably in the worst cases that I've experienced, the damage goes all the way back to people's childhoods where the family is designed by God to communicate a few things, training-wise, experience-wise, for, for children, for babies as they become adults. One of them is that parents are supposed to unconditionally love their baby that's growing up. The baby gets tons of love and affection and does nothing to earn it. And they give it freely. But if someone grows up in a home where they feel like love is conditional and they only get attention or approval from their dad especially, but their family, when they perform, anyone know this story? Then they enter a never-ending quest for the rest of their life to try to work hard to achieve approval. And when that doesn't feel like it's working and the hole is big, we can get so far that we will try to put on masks to convince others that we're better than we really are. That's what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. And it, it, really, it really can destroy things. What, what do you think happens? Remember the community was one heart, one mind, sharing everything. It's just this beautiful community. What happens to a community like that when people start putting on masks and they stop being authentic? Breaks down trust. Breaks down trust. And what happens when trust is gone? See, if I, if I don't think that you're trustworthy to me, I'm going to now guard myself. And I'm going to say things in certain ways to make sure that I don't get in trouble with you because I don't trust that you really love me. I'm not safe anymore. We're not safe anymore when that happens. And then we can't really work together. We can't certainly be of one heart and one mind. I always have to look over my shoulder wondering what someone's going to do to me when we start wearing masks. What, any, any other, that's great, great, Sherry. Any other thoughts? What happens when we start throwing on masks? We're, we're facades, we're not authentic. Oh, we forget who we truly are. Remember the Pharisees did this really well. In the Pharisees' case, their deception was so bad that they deceived themselves and they actually thought they were better than other people. They were so into their masks that they thought their masks were the real thing. And when that happens, and you maybe encountered Christians like this, they're very judgmental. And there's, if you're in the environment where you're part of the community and you want to be you know, achieving status, you want to be well-received, you get in this legalistic competitive role of trying to match the rules of the people that seem to be in charge of the place. And you fake it. You know, if you're in a place where the people that are loved are those that really seem to have a great prayer life and they can tell you the stories of how much they pray, you'll fake how much you pray. Because <laughs> that's how you get 
kudos from people in that environment. It's legalism or just, you know, um, in uh, there's, there's a group that is very into making sure that you never say anything negative because they believe that your words have so much power that if you say something negative, it'll come to pass. You know, like, don't, don't say, oh, I think I'm getting a cold because you've just confessed that you have a cold and you're going to bring it into reality. That, I used to travel in that group, and it wasn't very healthy. So it got really legalistic because if you don't talk the right talk and confess the right confess and declare the right declare and decree the right decree, then you are, you know, you're, you're looked down on. And so you, you put on a mask. How are you doing today? Praise the Lord, I'm doing great. Everything's great. I've never had a problem in my life. My marriage is good, and you should see my kids, and they are cleaner and prettier than anyone. And This is a mask, right? And if I do the praise the Lord, everything's great. How are you doing today? Well, you respond with, I'm doing great too. No problems here. Have, you know what I'm talking about? And now... Even though I'm dying inside, I can't get from you the help and the support that God created you to give to me. Because I've got a mask on. I'm, I Actually, I didn't tell you, I'm calling this talk, Taking Off Our Masks. <laughs> Why authenticity is essential for a community of witnesses. Jesus told a parable about the Pharisees and their masks. In Luke chapter 18, Luke writes this down. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So they believed their own masks. Their righteousness was their mask. The things that they pretended that they did so other people would think highly of them. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, which is the bad guy. No, he's actually thought to be the good guy. And the tax collector, which is thought to be the bad guy. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. That's a warning. Don't pray about yourself. <laughs> At least not like this. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <sighs> I'm not like the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers. Not like them at all. Not even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything. The tax collector stood at a distance, Jesus said, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He looked down, and he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. No mask. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In the context of being a community of witnesses, which is what we're talking about in these stories, if a community that's designed to represent the love, the acceptance, the forgiveness of Jesus becomes a community of masks, their witness is destroyed. Their witness is destroyed. They're nothing like Jesus. Jesus is so forgiving, so honest, so accepting. And we do well, the church does well, 
to be that way with each other. So here's my understanding of, of how to solve the problem of the mask. I think it starts with experiencing the unconditional love of God for myself. That's the first step. When I do what Amy led us in by example today, which I would, I'm very thankful she did that. I needed it. And I would encourage you to do what she did. I'm re, let me remind you. She said, can we just pause for a second and rest in this? And after a while, then she read a psalm. That practice is a really good way to get engulfed in the love of God. I try to frequently do this in my mornings. To get quiet. To not do anything for God, but just to receive from Him. If I experience the love of God, I can't help but respond in love to Him. It becomes worship. And it's the case, it's the nature of humanity that we always become like that which we worship. If you don't believe me, go to any concert and look at the people who look just like the guy on the stage. In the clothes, in the style, in the language, it's worship. Whatever we adore and fix our focus on and give worship to, we become like that. If I worship God and his, all his love and kindness toward me and I'm thanking him for receiving me, for receiving me in spite of who I am, in spite of the fact that I cursed a particular software company yesterday, <laughs> wishing them to go to hell, <laughs> and then I apologized and God forgave me. If I experience that incredible forgiveness... I'm likely to give it to others. And this thing starts to snowball. If I receive you with so much love and so much kindness and so much acceptance and you pull back your mask just a little bit and find out that my love and acceptance continues, you'll eventually rip your mask off and you'll just let it out before me. And if you, can, if you experience that I continue to love and receive you without judgment, just being on your side with you, we will start to impact all those around us. And eventually you have a community that's authentic. Do you, you might remember we have this phrase, real God, real people, restoring lives. And the real people part is about this. It says... Come as you are. We grow best by getting real with God and real with each other in genuine, caring relationships. And it's so freeing. It's so much more comfortable than the masks. The masks are really uncomfortable to wear. They, like, they make you chafe. They're just, they're, they're, they're just painful. It, by the way, I'm not saying, I just throw this in as an addendum, that I stop being honest with you and you stop being honest with me about our problems. So, you're accepting me doesn't mean that you're good with me if I'm a total jerk. You will honestly and lovingly 
lovingly talk to me about my jerkiness so that I'll change. So come as you are, but don't stay as you are, I guess is the point. Be received in love, but become like Jesus. And if you're like me, there are areas in your life that you need to repent of. You need to change. God needs to change us. So we accept each other without judgment, but we speak the truth in love. Here's, here's what um, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesians, Ephesus. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the healthy, beautiful, Jesus-like community without masks. Authentic, not the east of the Pharisees, not hypocrisy. I'll read one last section of scripture where Paul speaks about this to the church at Rome. You know, Lord, let me just ask you to to take the words that we're reading and make them so real in our hearts. We want to be transformed by you. We want to stand before you without a mask on our face and behold you and hear from you and be transformed by you. So please do that just even as we read these scriptures. Okay, so Paul says this. And he could be writing it to you and me. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. That sounds like what we were just reading about in Acts. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Same story we were just reading, right? Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice. To rejoice with those who rejoice, someone's got to have their mask off so we know there's something to rejoice about. Weep with those who weep. To weep with those who weep, they've got to be honest about their pain. They got to take the mask off. They got to not say everything's fine when everything's not fine. So that we can weep together. Because in our weeping together, there's strength and there's comfort and there's healing. Have you, ever, have you ever gone through a hard time and had someone come to be with you and not try to solve it for you, but just experiencing it with you? And no solutions, no telling you what to do. Just saying, wow, that stinks what you're going through. Let me just sit in it with you and care with you. Maybe we'll ask God if he could help. That kind of experience, people, creates a community of love, safety, and trust, and healing, and one heart and one mind, caring for each other that is absolutely what our world needs. Do you think anyone in the world puts on masks? Maybe, maybe it's how the whole thing runs. Have you been on Facebook lately? That's how we, and Facebook's a giant mask, generally. 
showing the pictures of the food that was so incredible and the family that's so beautiful and everything's perfect and then everyone gets jealous of each other and people literally are harming themselves because they're not like their friend that they saw on Instagram. Literally, because their friend put a mask on Instagram. That's our society. But no, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't ever pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. If it's possible, be at peace with everybody. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds amazing to me. So now what do you do now that I've said all this stuff? I need and you need probably to invite God the Holy Spirit to do uh, sort of an MRI of my heart. Lord, do a scan. Scan me and tell me what you see. And if I've been putting on masks... If I've been deceiving others because I so want them to think more highly of myself than I even really am, forgive me and help me to just be honest with you and others in humility. Help me to receive your love right now. To know that I know that I know that I am loved by God and I I have no need to prove anything to anyone. Help me to receive that, Lord. Lord, help us to be a community of people without masks, without judgment, without hypocrisy, just authentically loving each other and growing together in you. Help us to be that people. That's my prayer right now. Listen, I need to say this, those watching online and in the room, if it's possible that you're here and you have lived a life of performance for God, trying to do the right things so that he'd approve of you, you've been deceived. That's not the way he is. He already approves and loves you. Doesn't necessarily mean he approves of your bad behavior. In fact, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that he has come to deal with my sin and to wash it away without me working for it, but by me simply putting faith in him. I don't know if I said that well. Um, But the, the thing is this. Jesus has come and died on a cross and risen from the dead to take care of the problem of our sins. And his message is, put your faith in me. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. And I'll bring you into my very kingdom. You'll experience the life of the kingdom in your own life. So if you've never done that, today's your day. Look to God right now. Look to Jesus right now. And submit your life to him. Just, you know, say some kind of prayer or something like this. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I want to receive you today. Jesus, come into me. 
Forgive my sins. You know about them. I know about them. I want to follow you. Make me new. And that's about it. A prayer like that, you're in. He makes us new. He changes the course of our day and our future. Our destiny is forever changed when we put him in charge. So if you haven't received Jesus, do that, what I just prayed, right now, online here. And then we're going to end our time now. I'm going to invite the worship band to come up. And there'll be some people on the sides here ready to pray for anyone who might want to have a touch from the Lord. If you're here and you need some kind of healing in your life physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, the people that will be on the front sides here want to pray over you, and we've seen over and over God meet the needs of people, and we want to invite you to come and have your needs met, and we'll see what God will do today. We're having the band. They're going to sing a song or two of worship, and your response now is between you and God. Come and get prayer if you want. Just spend time worshiping the Lord, praying if you want, getting prayer. Eventually, you're going to make your way out to the lobby, and you're going to buy everything that's on those make and bake sale tables, right? All right, Daria. <laughs> Let's make Grace Vineyard a no-mask church. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. The Lord be gracious unto you and lift his countenance upon you. The Lord give you rest. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.